Wedgwood Christian Services is a place where hope and healing meet. As you navigate life's challenges, know that you are not alone. Hi, I'm Hilary Kirkendall, Marketing and Communications Coordinator for Wedgwood Christian Services, and these are the stories of real people who work at, learn from, and grow through the nationally accredited, faith-based nonprofit. These are Wedgwood's Coffee Break Conversations. As the Director of Wedgwood Substance Use Disorder Treatment Services, Chris Rivera has seen the heartbreaking consequences of addiction and substance use disorder. But he has also seen the life-changing impact grace-filled, compassionate treatment services and recovery support has on people and our community. Today, Chris and I talk about substance use disorder and its complexities, the importance of community, compassion and recovery, and the role of joy and contentment. Thanks for joining us. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Chris Rivera. I'm the Director of Substance Use Disorders here in Wedgwood. And can you explain a little about what your role is? Yeah, so right now I'm currently overseeing nine counties in West Michigan, and a big part of my role has to do with program management, organization, and making sure that we're providing the best level of care that we can for our clients. And so what do you love most about the team that you're leading? I would say their commitment to the mission. You know, I think um, people that that really feel called to be at Wedgwood um, really understand what it is that we're trying to cultivate here, and I really appreciate that everyone's on board for that. So how long have you been with Wedgwood? I've now been with Wedgwood since August of last year, so it'll almost be a year here in a few weeks, which is kind of crazy to think. Time has flown by, especially with the pandemic. But this is my second time at Wedgwood. I was here previously from around 2009 to about 2013. So you couldn't stay away? Correct. So what yeah. brought you back to Wedgwood? That's a good question. And I often tell people I kind of feel like I was called back home. And so for me, a big part of it was being able to contribute at a different capacity than when I left here in the past. That's great. So what drew you to the social work field and working with individuals with substance use disorder? Yeah, I think for me, I've always had, um, I know it's kind of cliche to say, but a passion for other people, working with people, and as I kind of grew into an adult, I started to see where my strengths lied, and, and it generally stemmed from being around others, contributing to a team setting, um, and for me, the field lent itself to be able to use those strengths and skill sets. Um, I am very much committed to assisting people, especially um, during the recovery process. So for me, being that this is a very big challenge, especially what's going on right now and has been happening even before the pandemic, this has been another opportunity to kind of double down with the skill sets that I've learned, all the education and the practice that I've had as a provider and now being able to, to do it in this role, I think is pretty great. So we've used the term a few times, substance use disorder. What is substance use disorder? Substance use disorder is essentially uh, an umbrella term to categorize substance use, substance abuse, and substance dependence. So, um, you know, you hear this often, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So it really encompasses everything you can think about um, that falls under the category of abusing, whether it be alcohol, um, and other illicit substances. So what sort of substances are you seeing people misusing? Yeah, there's definitely a variety. I would say often the most common we see is alcohol. 
Um, and it depends also, I would say, on the population because we do serve teens, we serve young adults, and we serve older adults as well. So I would say that the trends, especially um, since I've been here, there's some opioid abuse. Um, again, alcohol is there. You have other, you know, harder drugs as well. So if someone has a loved one who's struggling with substance use disorder, what advice would you give them? You know, I would say this is one of those moments where it's, it's important to be diligent. Um, I think one of the biggest pitfalls that I often experience is people end up enabling their loved ones um, in an effort to help them. So sometimes, you know, a sense of urgency is needed. You know, there is help and there are people waiting and eager to assist with that. So I would say being able to identify that a loved one is struggling and encouraging them and basically turning over every stone they can to make sure that they reach some type of service. So in encouraging and supporting others who have substance use, um, what do healthy boundaries look like when someone is supporting someone with a substance use disorder? And like, when might it be wise to give some separation in between you and the person who is struggling? Mm. Yeah, I, I think again, it goes back to having healthy boundaries. You know, I think if you can clearly identify what it is that's going on and you can let people know how you're able and willing to help them, but also in what ways you're not going to enable more of their unhealthy patterns and behaviors. So again, being able to have a level of assertiveness can be hard, especially when it is a loved one and they may be used, right, to um, you being someone who either is not gonna stand in their way or you may not want to jeopardize that relationship. So I, I, can, I, can, I can see why it is hard for people to be assertive in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been seeing billboards for dispensaries every time I'm out in my car all over the place. Um, so how has legalization of recreational marijuana impacted the work that your team is doing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think a few things come to mind. Number one, with it now being decriminalized, I think there is a sense that cannabis um, may not pose any threat right, or harm to people. It's kind of been labeled this cure-all substance. So I think it would be naive to think that anything in excess could be healthy for us. So I think, again, continuing to educate the public um, and, and letting people know that just because it's legal, right, there's other substances and other things that are legal, and we still have to be cautious and, and again, um, have a level of discernment with how we utilize those substances. Mm-hmm. Like alcohol. Sure or prescription medication. That's another you know, big one too that is often overlooked when you think of substance use disorder, but you know, especially as it relates to opiates, um, you know, by and large, the addicted populations are receiving those medications you know, through a prescription. So where are people, especially kids, getting drugs? I know prescriptions, they're coming through their doctor, but what about mm-hmm. other? other substances. Yeah, I mean, I think the the definitely more from the I guess the streets and <laughs> you know and 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 by any means necessary, you know, I think a lot of the times too if you're talking about misusing prescription meds, kids and teens may be taking them from a relative, right? a family member in the home may just be taking the medication. Um, 
or oftentimes, you know, getting together and then whether that would be buying it, you know, off the street from someone they know or, you know, in a more dangerous situation, potentially exposing themselves to other danger by, by means of acquiring substances. Scary. Um, so is it harder for someone to stop using if they started using as a young teen? And how does that impact success and recovery? Yeah, I would say that it would make it harder for someone if they started as a teen, um, especially because you're creating more of that attachment, right? So you're creating an attachment to a substance that now maybe becomes your go-to way of coping. And, and sometimes, you know, I've, I've heard it say before, we use to feel and not feel. So even if the use started from a more recreational way, and to have fun or to celebrate, you're still creating those early attachments and those kind of chemical hooks. So I think especially for teens, if they've started early, it's going to be potentially a harder road for recovery. Because mm -hmm. their brains are still developing. Correct. And, and again, I think we're, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, creatures of habit. And when we get into those types of patterns and trends, it can be really difficult to break away from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is something that you think people would be surprised to know about substance use disorder and recovery? I would say one thing that people would be surprised to know is that in my experience, by and large, most people do want to stop and they do want to quit. Again, another common misconception is that it's a lack of willpower or, or a lack of, you know, caring enough about their loved ones and their career um, really truly it's one of the more challenging parts of our role in substance use is educating not just the clients that we serve but especially their family and understanding what recovery looks like and i think for some people having patience can be very challenging um, knowing that this is not something that happens overnight, you know, usually they call, especially, uh, I like to use alcohol as an example, but that one's a, a slow churning addiction. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. It's kind of a slow killer. So most people don't wake up, right, wanting to, to be within dependence of a substance. It's something that happens gradually. So again, I think having a level of grace and compassion for the people that are suffering and struggling with that battle. And I think, again, with that, we mostly see the behavior, right? We see the badness that we label. So then there's a sense of like, well, this has to do with who they are, right? Um, but really, it's, it's, to me, it's more, it's more eye-opening on the kind of grip that certain substances can have on people, mm -hmm. especially, again, an average person that without that substance, right, would be high-functioning. Mm -hmm. Is it ever too late to get help or to get sober? No, I, I think there's varying degrees of what you may deem too late. Obviously, you could say too late would be someone overdosing and not having an opportunity. So I guess in that sense, yes. But to me, I think something that's very crucial about recovery is that setbacks are to be expected. You know, certain relapses are to be expected. So it's not about, you know, um, using that as, as a hindrance for moving forward. Every opportunity every time that you seek out some type of support, whether that be professional, whether it be a peer support, like a community meeting, I think anything that allows you to tie in to some type of recovery process has value.
recovery is more of a journey than a destination. Correct. Like many things, you know, I think uh, one part that always stands out to me, whether we're talking about substance use or even mental health and, and just a level of growth individually, it's, it's, it's rarely one problem, right, that we have to solve or, or this kind of silver bullet, you know. Rather, it's, it's kind of concepts that we have to learn to manage over time, right? So it's about fine-tuning our skills. The more we know about the things that trigger us to use and continue to abuse, the more we can potentially do to manage that. So what would takes more of a whole person approach to recovery? Correct. Whole person and whole community. You know, we understand too, especially in a lot of the conversations we've been having, you know, since the pandemic, a lot of these substances are on the rise. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anticipation. And with that, you get a lot of restlessness, you know, anxiety. All of these things tend to manifest when we don't really feel like we have management over what's going on. So... So again, it's, it's kind of like this collective effort about where we're at and what we need to do to kind of get, you know, I would say back on track, even though we did have problems previous to that. But I think it's, it's becoming pretty clear that what we're dealing with now um, is, is definitely more, more significant than before the pandemic. How do you see faith making an impact in the work that you and your team do? I think it goes back to the mission, you know, and our core and our values. Everything that we do goes back to being distinctly Christian within our team. And I think a big part of that, you know, allows us to continue to have that grace and compassion. Um, it's, it's not always glamorous work. So I think for, for those that are here, um, there is that commitment to, you know, why we do what we do and, and, and kind of having that again collective you know higher power that brings us together how is it used in treatment is that something you use with clients regularly or as they see fit um so generally you know it's it's always best practice to meet people where they're at right so the fact that we provide services across many counties we can't assume right or expect that everyone is going to align with our values. So we are very much um, on the forefront of not pushing, you know, our views and beliefs. It's, it's really about the work that we're doing, providing great service. And so the reality is that's something that if someone wants to have more of that within their treatment, we can definitely accommodate for that, but we don't lead with that out of respect to others. I love that. So what brings you joy in your work and in your personal life? I would say for me, I find a lot of contentment in the process. So you said earlier, it's about the journey, right? Not necessarily the destination. So for me, it's finding uh, a sense of humility and all the little things we do throughout the day. Like I said, again, you know, a lot of what we do um, has more of that internal reward versus um, seeing it on paper. You know, recovery is, is hard work. It, it can be very discouraging for the things that we're talking about. There's a lot of variables involved. And again, you know, it's, it's true that um, most people in recovery, you know, it will take them, I think they, there's a saying less than seven. So, you know, it's gonna take around five to seven times throughout a lifetime for the average person to really have 
sustain some level of management and abstinence. So, so again, I, I go back to being able to kind of count on those small victories. Um, another component of that would be, you know, feeling like I'm a part of something bigger than myself. You know, I've always um, championed that, and I, even when I was a therapist and I enjoyed that, oftentimes I still felt very much on an island. So this, this kind of role that I'm in now and having more of a team philosophy to me is, is more fulfilling and I have more joy and satisfaction from that. And in my personal life, you know, I surround myself around good people and family. And, and I think for me, it's something that has not been, um, has not always come easy. So I think, again, part of it has been experience, trial, trials and errors and adversity. Um, to kind of learn to slow down and appreciate what's in front of me versus things that um, maybe in the past and my younger my younger self struggled to appreciate right so mm-hmm. one one fun thing I like to do is a lot of people will say that cliche you know I just want to be happy so now I've kind of deconstructed that and happiness is really excitement so if we're always chasing happiness we're setting ourselves up for, for some type of disillusionment or disappointment. So I'm glad that you said joy because now I really try to focus on joy and contentment versus what I would call excitement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that you kind of implied that joy and contentment do take a little work. It doesn't just come naturally, which I'm sure is something that you have to convey to clients in substance use disorder recovery too. Yeah, and a lot of, you know, what our therapists do is, is they kind of model right the type of behaviors whether that be in in their engagement with the client um you know in in the job that they do and i think that's the best way we can really support is we're modeling the type of change right that we're also working and encouraging them to do i love that well thank you so much for joining us for this coffee break conversation and sharing your insight and expertise with us and for your dedication to the mental and behavioral health of our community. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's all a journey. Like Chris said, there is a level of work and investment required in recovery and growth and in joy. Being a part of something bigger than yourself is so important, whether it be your career, how you volunteer, or connecting with the community to support your growth. If you or someone you know would benefit from grace-filled substance use disorder treatment services, Wedgwood is here to help. You can visit our website to learn more and get connected to recovery support. Curious about our services? Visit us at wedgwood.org, W-E-D-G-W-O-O-D, and find us on our social media at wedgwoodcs, or shoot us an email at hello at wedgwood.org. We would love to be a part of your story. Until next time, these are Wedgwood's Coffee Break Conversations.